Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, we'll let anybody ride trains these days. Shall we go have dinner? I picked myself up off the floor. Norris gave me a long, hard, cold stare. Bernie, I am not pleased with you. Norris went into dinner about 7 o'clock. I just sat in the club car and brooded. At that moment, I didn't care whether I never got another Great Valley case or whether blonde menaces plucked whole trainloads of rich, loud-mouthed braggarts. As for the gun in her bag... That gun in her bag. The cool way she slapped me down. Of course. I grinned, relaxed, and lit a cigarette. I had a late dinner, then hung around the corridor of the car where both Dendridge and Nanette had their rooms. They were in the club car. But about 10.30... It was a girl, Nanette, alone. She went directly to the room Dendridge had been assigned, opened the door, went inside. A few moments later, Dendridge came staggering along, opened the door to his room, and let out a bellow of rage. That's when I went into action. I found what I expected. Dendridge's briefcase open and papers strewn about the room, and Dendridge struggling with a girl who was trying to get the revolver out of a bag. This time, I yanked Dendridge around and... <laughs> I turned to the girl. Grab the stuff you need and get out of here quick. I've already told the conductor to let you off in an emergency stop. You can take care of yourself from there on. The girl gave me an appraising look, nodded, then swiftly made a selection of the papers and slipped out into the corridor. A couple of minutes later... Huh? That was almost all. I left Dendridge's room, found Norris, and hustled him into one of the baggage cars, and we stayed there until the train made its first regular stop. And when he protested, Mr. Norris, have you heard about guys who made a lot of money during the war and never bothered to declare their incomes? The tax department likes to collect from people like that when it can get evidence. And there's nothing like a pretty girl agent against guys like Dendridge, if you understand what I mean. Norris understood all right. About a week later, there was a small paragraph in the papers about a Mr. Forrest Dendridge who had voluntarily declared an additional $900,000 in income, piously paid his tax, and a walloping big fine as well. That was all. But a week after that, I got a letter appointing me a special investigator for the Great Valley Railroad on an annual retainer basis. Like I said, you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. And when a honey like Nanette packs a gun... 
you can be pretty sure she's after bigger game than flies. In a peculiar business. Well, maybe I am. But there are businesses a lot more peculiar. I was in Wally Maxson's Club 57 about 2.30 one morning. Wally's is a little place, no entertainment, one of those late spots where characters uh, hate to go home, sit around, and talk away the hours. Over in one corner of the room, two men were trading vicious punches, but the people at other tables paid no attention. At Wally's, it isn't considered good form to interfere in another man's business. Wally Maxson and another man sauntered over to my table. Hiya, Jerry. Meet a friend of mine, Ned Fromish from uh, Atlanta. Fromish shook hands and smiled, revealing beautiful store teeth. Glad to meet you, Jerry. Any friend of Wally's is a friend of mine. I smiled, too. Sit down, gents. I'll buy a drink. Fromish showed his fine teeth again. Wally says you're a private eye, Jerry. That right? Yeah, but I'm not working at it tonight. What's your business, Mr. Fromish? Fromish scratched his head thoughtfully. Well, I uh, guess you might call me a troubleshooter. Troubleshooter? Well, that sounds interesting. It's okay, your job. You see, if somebody makes trouble for you, I shoot him. He got up as two men walked into the place. Uh, excuse me. It happened so fast that it was all over in a moment. The two men who'd entered lay dead on the floor. Tromish, with a smoking gun in each hand, paused a moment in the doorway. See what I mean, Jerry? Troubleshooter. Good night. A man who called himself a troubleshooter, if people made trouble for you, he shot them, wasn't fooling, because he shot and killed two men and escaped. By the time police arrived, Wally's place was practically deserted. Cops identified the bodies as two members of the Jack Reardon mob, then piled everybody in the place, including me, into patrol wagons and carted us off to headquarters. For once, Lieutenant Dawson was annoyed with me. Jerry, you mean to say this foamy sat at your table told you he was a killer and you let him get away with something like this? Well, I thought he was kidding. And when the shooting started, it was over in a second. Dawson shook his head, turned to Wally. You're in a tough spot, Maxon. You knew Fromish, you helped him ambush Reardon's man. Wally sighed and looked unhappy. You got me all wrong, Luke. Sure, I knew Ned from Atlanta. I did three years there when he was doing 10 to 20. Being from the same college, he was naturally a friend. Well, I didn't know his business. I wouldn't help wipe out Reardon's boys. I get a lot of trade from him. Now they'll probably boycott the joint. It was daylight by the time Wally and I were released. Out in the street, Wally shook his head sadly. You know, Jerry, something like this shakes a guy's fate in human nature. Well, see you at the morgue. I grabbed a cab and went on home for a few hours sleep. But as I opened the door to my apartment... Hiya, pal. Come on in and close the door. I looked at the revolver dangling from Ned Fromish's index finger and did as he suggested. Fromish waved the revolver at a chair. Sit down, pal. I sat down. What are you doing here, Fromish? Did somebody hire or troubleshoot me? That's no way to talk. You're a pal. Ned Fromish never shoots his friends. If uh, they don't start nothing. Then what do you want? Fromish scratched his head with a pistol muzzle. 
How's Wooly? I mean, uh, did they fling him in a sneezer? In jail? No, he finally convinced them that he wasn't in on the shooting. He did? I called that unsmart. I stared at Fromish. Suddenly, I had a mental picture of Wally strolling away from the police station to sure death from the enraged red and mob's guns. You should take good care of your pals, Browning. Come on. Let's see can we troubleshoot a little for Wally. So there I was at almost six in the morning, tearing through the streets with a killer at whom every cop in town was itching to get a shot. You got a gun, Browning? I nodded. Okay, I make you a deal. As long as we're trying to save Wally, you're with me. If we collide with Reardon's boys, you're neutral. And if it's a cops, you can try and take me. It's a deal. We took a corner on two wheels. That's Wally's house down a block. There was a car parked across the street from Wally's place. As we slowed down, I caught a glimpse of figures inside the car. Step on it. We're in an ambush. We're going to Ridden's joint and take it apart. We left the car a block from Ridden's waterfront tavern, went the rest of the way on foot. It's what's wrong with this troubleshooting business, Browning. You do one job for pay, gonna do three others for free. I took the safety catch off my gun. You're in a sucker business. You'll wind up on a slab. Fromish shrugged. Maybe... But I wouldn't want to lead a dull life like you. He checked his own guns. Ridden is expecting this, so we'll go in shooting. You look for Wally while I keep the boys' heads down. Okay, just watch where you shoot. We sidled up to the door. I looked at Fromish. He nodded, then... Suddenness of our attack caught the men inside the tavern by surprise, but not for long. I caught a glimpse of Wally at the back of the room being guarded by two thugs. With bullets whistling around me, I made a dash for Wally as his guards died for cover on the table. Come on, Wally, let's go! A bullet caught Wally in the arm. I flung him over my shoulder, raced for the door, conscious of Fromy still standing in the doorway and blazing away with both guns. Trouble, trouble, that's all I got. Stand up, Redden, and take it like a man! That was the last time I saw Ned Fromish, the troubleshooter, alive. When police got to the tavern, Fromish was lying dead across the doorway. Inside, three others were killed, including Red, and four more wounded. It was the end of the Reardon gang, and pretty nearly the end of Wally Maxson, too. His little night spot is reopened, but somehow it doesn't get the colorful trade it used to draw. I guess the characters around town have lost a little of their confidence in Wally. Like I said, there are lots of businesses in this world... Some good, some slow. But if your business is trouble, you're sure to get more than you can handle. Listen next time to Calling All Detectives. Mystery drama, mystery quiz. And a chance for you to match wits with yours truly, Jerry Browning, Private Detective.